Well, good morning, church. Super Bowl Sunday. All right. KC fans, how many are there? Kansas City, come on. Okay, all right. Few of the powerful. Um, who else is playing? Yeah, those guys. Who, who, who's up for the rest of the guys? Yeah, okay. How many of you could care less? How anti-American can you be? All right, well, I hope your team wins. You know, that's all I can say. But I do want to give a shout out to Elk Grove, California. Thank you for tuning in for the first time. Jackson, Wyoming, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for showing up, too. Here we go again. These are always painful. I'm wondering if they're first-time viewers or they're just our people on vacation. Waiakaloa, Hawaii. Thank you for tuning in, if you really live there. Post Falls, Idaho. Shout out to Post Falls. I think these people live here. Vermilion, South Dakota. Thank you for tuning in. We appreciate you joining us here this morning, and thank you guys for showing up. It's a big deal these days, and so thank you for being here as well. Okay, here we go. Is it just me, or has the world gone crazy? I mean, I don't talk about this a lot, but I'm just going to throw it out there. It feels like we're living in the twilight zone. Um, we're up is down, in is out, good is bad, bad is good, and circles are squares. That's what it feels like to me. Everything's getting redefined. What used to be normal is now abnormal, and what used to be abnormal is now normal. The redefining has been going on for a while, but it's, it's at all new levels, right? We, we, we redefine babies. What is a baby? When is a baby? We redefine male and female. What is a male? What is a female? We redefine marriage. What is marriage? Who's it between? We redefine who's going to participate in sports. I was reading the other day, they're redefining parks in our country. You know the place you go play? Not parks and rack. The, you know what I'm talking about? You guys okay? Okay. So, I... Uh, it's crazy in my mind. But I suppose the more pertinent question for us as Christians is what does this mean for the gospel and biblical truth today? For something to be true means by definition the opposite is not true. And that's super hard to find today, but yet it's crystal clear in the Bible. 
So how do we, as Christians, navigate these waters? How do we navigate God's truth in these waters today? I've entitled this morning's message, When Up is Down, and we're gonna look at how to navigate God's truth in today's culture. And we're gonna look at John chapter eight, verses 48 to 59, as we get back into the Gospel of John that we're teaching through. Uh, took a couple weeks off the last couple weeks. Pastor Brandon preached, Pastor Matt preached, one on Psalm 19, one on Philippians 1, so I hope you check those out. Uh, very useful tips and insight from God's word. But we're going back to the Gospel of John because that's where we left off two weeks ago. Now, it's been two weeks, so you may have forgotten the context. Let me remind you. Jesus is still at the temple. He's still at the end of the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles, which is basically the Jewish version of Thanksgiving where they gather together and, and give thanks to God for a week. Um, and there's a lot of ceremonies, a lot of tradition, a lot of candle lighting, a lot of marching, a lot of celebration, and of course sacrifices as well. And so the end of that week, Jesus hung out and was preaching to a crowd uh, that was listening to him. And of course the religious leaders were present in the crowd and of course, the opposition was there. There was pushback, there was battling back and forth. And the way, the last couple of weeks we looked at it, Jesus was talking about what it really means to be a follower of him, if you remember. And we talked about it in our lives. What does it mean? We claim to be Christians, but are we? How do we know? Well, what does Jesus say about that? And so we looked at part one and part two of that. But they're still discussing, and we put kind of a pause on there, so I'm going to come back to it because he's still interacting with these Jewish leaders that aren't happy with him. And we see that in uh, John chapter 8, verse 48, the Jews answered him, Jesus, are you not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Okay, so first of all, this is a performance statement. They're saying this for everybody to hear. They're obviously not looking for a Jesus to go, yeah, th yeah, that's right. I'm a Samaritan and I'm demon possessed. Yeah, yeah, that, that, good, you're listening. No, it was a performance statement and it was a personal attack. So if you remember just before this, Jesus was calling out their motivation. They claimed to follow Abraham. They claimed to be godly. They claimed all these things, their forefathers. And he's going, no, you're actually following your father, Satan because you're lying and you're deceiving and Satan's native tongue is to lie. And so you're being influenced by the enemy. So they re retort right here and say, but aren't you a Samaritan and demon possessed? Now, by calling somebody a Samaritan back there, we look at it and go, huh, no, he's Jewish, he's not Samaritan. No, that's like calling somebody a racist. That's like calling somebody a bigot. That's like calling somebody a heretic. That's like calling somebody um, uh, a liar, all in one word. So that was an insult when they said, aren't you a Samaritan? And then the demon piece, I mean, they just flip it back on him. There's no proof. They're not saying, yeah, because here's what you're doing that's very demonic. They just, it's name calling, not unlike today. Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. So Jesus continues to ally himself with the father, God the father, who the Jews believe in as well. And he's saying basically, no, I'm not demonic, I'm godly, okay? In verse 50, they said, yet uh, I do not seek my own glory, Jesus said. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. So again, Jesus refers to the judge in the Jewish mindset, the listeners, the judge is Yahweh. 
So he's saying, I defer to Yahweh. I'm a Jew, not a Samaritan, basically. Jesus continues, truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets, yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. So now we know you have a demon because you've gone crazy. Now, they could have said, no, you're wrong, and could have debated the issues, but again, the labeling, right? If they say it enough times, people will start to think, yeah, maybe Jesus is demonic. Yeah, and we'll just keep throwing out that idea. But we'll look at the reasoning. The reasoning is they have no spiritual awareness. They're saying, wait, you're saying, if you keep your, your word, if you do what you say, then you won't see death. How is that possible? Because the patriarch of our faith is dead, Abraham. Well, we're not talking about physical death. Knock, knock, it's the woman at the well, right? Where are you gonna get this living water? Well, Jesus was hot talking in, in metaphors and he was talking about eternal life. He's talking about eternal death, not obviously physical death, but they didn't get it. They had no spiritual discernment, went right over their head. Are you greater, verse 53, than our father Abraham who died? And the prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be? In other words, are you greater than Abraham? Hmm. Remember who else said, are you greater than Jacob? Woman at the well. So they all had their patriarchs. They all had their go-to deferring leaders. And both felt like their leader was being challenged, the woman at the well and Jesus, and these Pharisees, by Jesus in regards to their patriarchs. So they're just asking it straight up. Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, all of whom you say he is our God. Again, he's aligning himself. He's like, don't try to separate me from Abraham. Don't try to separate me from Jacob. Don't try to separate me from Yahweh. He pulls himself right back in and says, no, I'm part of the plan. I'm not, I'm not an excursion here. I'm not a de deference. I'm not, I'm not a one-off. I'm part of the big picture. But now he says to them in verse 55, but you have not known him. I know him, the father we're talking about. And if I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. Boom. But I do know him, and I keep his word. So what do we got? This little exchange going on. We basically have an up is down moment, or down is up. Because Jesus is saying, I've come from the Father. I'm Jewish. And they're saying, now you're a Samaritan. Jesus is saying, I came to glorify the Father. And the Pharisees are saying, no, you have a demon. He says, I've come to provide life. We know that to be eternal life. And the Pharisees are going, no, you didn't, because Abraham died. So Jesus is presenting the truth. They're trying to redefine the truth. And what does Jesus do? Keep presenting the truth. He doesn't back down. He doesn't slow down. He doesn't walk away and say, this isn't going well. 
He hangs in there, and this is super important because when we talk about how to navigate God's truth as Christians in today's culture, number one in your outline, keep sharing it with others. Our tendency is to, based on the redefining, based on the pushback, based on the opposition, to pull back and don't say anything anymore instead of presenting God's truth and continually presenting God's truth. Here's the key regardless of the response. Because we know the end of the story, don't we? We know the Pharisees never got on board. Others did, though. But it didn't stop Jesus either way. And this is the importance of that, right? And it's the truth of God's word that brings clarity and power. You remember when Jesus in Matthew 4, he, left, he got, came out of the wilderness, and, and, and remember how he was tempted by the enemy, what did he do? He didn't have a debate, didn't argue with him. He quoted God's word three times. It is written, it is written, it is written. And what happened? The enemy goes, see ya. Paul's encouragement to Pastor Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God. Profitable for what? Teaching for reproof, for correction, i.e. clarifying, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, Ephesians 6, 17 talks about the armor of God and we're in a spiritual battle, and it talks about the word is what? The sword. Sword can be defensive, sword can be offensive, but the sword is the critical weapon for a soldier and God has given us his word not to weaponize necessarily but to defend but to clarify but to correct but to reproof so it's not complicated what's going on today it's just if the pushback or redefining feels so much like a wave that we want to swim to shore rather than duck dive with God's word, so to speak. If you're online, you have no idea what that meant, but you guys do. I remember when I was in Amsterdam in the 90s, there was a housing shortage at the time. And if you owned a flat or an apartment or a house, um, and you vacate, and you weren't there for a while, and somebody around wanted to just move in your house, squat in your house, they did it. And when you came back to your house a few days later, you'd have to legally remove them. They called it squatter's rights. You could put up no trespassing. You could put up my property. You could do whatever, and they just still did it. Now, technically, it's not a, as big a deal today, but technically, it was illegal back then. But no one was enforcing the laws because of the pushback, because of the housing shortage, because of all these things. Here's the deal. The, word, the world is going to trespass on the truth of God. They don't care. And so the key becomes is who's going to enforce it? 
me, and you. He gives us his word as a lamp to our feet, as a light to our path. Implication, there's going to be darkness everywhere. And in order to see straight, you got to flip on the light. You don't leave it at home. You ever been camping out in the middle of the wilderness and it's pitch black and it's not a full moon night? Man, it's hard. Flip on that light, it's like, and what happens to the critters? They go running. So that's the key. See, when you flip on a light, it could be either something that you go, oh, thank you, I need to see, or I'm trying to sleep, can you turn that off? What's the difference? Not the light. The difference is the person receiving the light. So this is important. I mentioned earlier, the world is redefining things that used to be normal and not even debatable. Redefining words, like babies. What does God's word say about babies? David wrote a song about it, King David. And one of the, one of the lyrics, one of the lines, one of the verses in the song, he said this to God, for you form my inward parts, Psalm 139, 13. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. So where's a baby? In the mother's womb and outside the mother's womb. Here's the deal. That's not a political statement. That's a biblical statement. Now, if the world of politics wants to make all these biblical things arguments, that we can't control that. We talk about male and female. I knew we'd be dropping pins this morning. Genesis, I told my wife, I said, make sure I make it home today. Genesis 1.27 says, God, here we go, God created man in his own image, the Genesis account, in the image of God, he created him, what? Male and female, he created him. How many of you picked whether you were born a male or female? Not one of you. Now, I'm gonna put a caveat here because I talked about this three weeks ago or whatever. I'm not talking about social constructs. I'm not talking about whether you're drawn based on our culture to more feminine things than masculine things or vice versa. Those are social constructs. I'm just talking about the biology of male and female. God created those. How you feel, arguably, is a social construct. I feel more like a female than I do a male based in this world and what females are doing. That's very different than male and female. Husbands and wives, hmm. marriage. Genesis 2.24, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, oh, father and mom, mom and dad, right there, and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh, procreate the assignment to Adam and Eve. Here's the deal, let me say this again. This is not a political statement. 
This is a biblical statement. But let's leave that. There's a lot of people today that will say there's more than one way to God. Now we're not political anymore for some reason. More than one way to God. Well, that's not what Jesus said, and we'll, we'll see it when he gets to John chapter 14, verse 6. For I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father, i.e. God, except through me. If those are statements of truth, that means the opposite of those are not true according to God's word. You with me? Okay. That's all I'm saying. That was an example of when we talk about keep sharing it with others. The key is, whatever your topic is, that you know what God's word says about that. Not what your word is. That's the problem. When it starts becoming your opinions and your words and all that, oh boy. Then we start lighting the social media landscape and it becomes crazy. But let's keep reading. Because all we're doing is modeling what Jesus did. He just keeps stating truth to these guys over and over. And they're pushing back. Oh, you're a demon. Oh, here's the deal. No, I'm not a demon. Da, 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 because here's what I am. Da, 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 da. Oh, you're a Samaritan. No, I'm not a Samaritan. I follow the Father. Okay, you can't give life because, you know, no, 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 no. He just keeps going. Back to the text. He says to the, the Jews, Jesus says this in verse 56, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Again, is Jesus, what is Jesus saying here? They're so literal. They're, wait a second, huh, you're 40, you're 30, hmm, 30, so well, we'll round up, you're 50, um, and Abraham's 2,000 years ago, how could he possibly see you? He's not saying he literally saw him. He was highlighting the fact that he is looking forward to his day when the Messiah would come, much like Christians. Or be glad to see the arrival of Jesus, looking forward to the return of Christ. Some may literally see it because they're here, but the rest of the church for the last 2,000 years would be glad to see the day. Clarity is provided by the Hebrew writer in Hebrews eleven thirteen about the patriarchs and especially Abraham. It says, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, visualizing them and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiled in the earth. So that's what Jesus was saying. So again, clarifying, verse 58, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, here we go, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. So at this point, the conversation's over. They were gonna take him out. Highlights maybe the size of the crowd. He just ditched in the crowd and, and got out of there. But what turned the corner for them? The I am statement. Before Abraham was, I am. They knew what he was saying. 
because they knew their Old Testament. Let me read it to you. When God was having a discussion with Moses or vice versa, and this is the pharisaical perspective, Exodus 3, 13, then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered through all generations. So what was Jesus referencing? The truth that we started this gospel with, John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was referencing his deity and his unity with the triune God. And so they wanted to pick up stones. The hostile response. And by the way, this isn't the first time Jesus has said this, and they've wanted to do this. Remember John chapter 5. They also wanted to do it, but the crowd was too big. So what are we at here? Well, Jesus keeps stating truth. About himself. But you can see that they got so personally offended that they crossed a legal line. And what was the legal line? It was against the law for the Jews to carry out capital punishment. They're under Roman law. That's why Jesus was crucified. So the Jews did not have the wherewithal nor the legal right to kill somebody, to exercise capital punishment. But they were so worked up, they didn't care. They're going to go for going. It so tweaked them inside that in reality, the truth revealed to the crowd what their ultimate and ulterior and purpose was anyway. They weren't trying to reason. They weren't trying to explain. They weren't trying to learn. They weren't trying to figure it out. They wanted to kill him. And they had a contract out on his life. And when the truth just kept going and going and going, they blew a gasket. But we get some insight. We get some insight when we're talking about how to navigate God's truth in today's culture. Number two on your outline, let it expose the motives of others. Let God's truth expose the motive of others. Meaning, it's not for you to do. It's not for you to expose. It's not for you to clarify. Let God's word do the work of exposing, convicting, clarifying, not us. And this is the place where we can get in the way because we can get emotionally charged up, we can get emotionally revved up, and we can make it about us rather than keeping it focused on God's word. Because it's God's word that's going to be the key to clarity. How do I know this? Look at Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, that's deep, of joints and marrow, that's deep, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You can't discern the intention. You may think you can, but God's word does. 
And all he did was just kept laying it out. And so here's what we got to understand about the word of God. It's more than just words on a page of an ancient book. It's living and it's active and it's doing a work. And it's inspired by the Holy Spirit. And we're told in John chapter 14 that the Holy Spirit came to convict the world of righteousness, sin, and judgment. So the conviction, the exposing, the, the convicting, the clarifying is up to God. Not you, not me. The problem is if we let our emotions get engaged, we become the convictor, we become the exposer, we become the debater, we become all these things that is the role of the Holy Spirit through the power of his word. How are we doing? I saw an interesting interview on TV. Uh, actually, it was on YouTube. It happened a couple, couple months ago, I think. Uh, the uh, coach of the Celtics, Joe Mazzulla, did you see that interview after a game? Where he, uh, it, was just, it was just interesting. Um, they were talking about the game, and then one of the reporters got up. You know how they do after a game? They kind of sit at a table and just answer questions. We, it's always the same race. We just stick to our game. We've got to try harder. got to be more consistent. I mean, it's never revelatory, but they do it anyway. And so somebody raised their hand and says, how does it feel having the royal family in the same building with you during the game? And his response was kind of snarky, but he says, you mean Mary, Joseph, and Jesus? Did you see that? And it just kind of quieted the crowd. She said, no, 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 the, you know, the prince and princess of Wales. He said, oh, I, I don't, I only know of one royal family. I, I don't know about them. I hope they're Celtics fans. <laughs> Silenced the crowd. There wasn't one more question, and he left the room. <laughs> now, what just happened there? He didn't engage emotionally. He didn't say, well, royal family, I don't know. I don't know if I agree with going on with Prince Harry and, you know, Charles, and now all they're getting, you know, not, I don't know if they should be writing a book and on Oprah, and, you know, because, you know, they are royal and they make a lot of money. It seems like they're coming here to, you know. He didn't even go there. He just kind of let truth sit. Arguably, the royal family of Scripture is Jesus, Joseph, and Mary. Just let it sit. And people had to sit in it. And he left. So our biggest risk as believers is letting our passions drive our message and our responses. And if we're not careful, those passions will get in the way of the message and get in the way of responses, i.e. social media chaos. The more you and I can just Quote truth and let it sit. Don't engage. Well, I disagree. I don't know what to tell you. This is what it says. Yeah, but don't you think, well, it's not really about what I think. Because I'm not God. But do you think it's fair and that they... 
A lot of things in scriptures that aren't fair, and trust me, I'm glad. Versus jumping in. That jumping in. That being tempted in. <laughs> Today is the Super Bowl. I often wonder what's discussed when they line up and the guys are looking at each other. I mean, you can only imagine, right? Trash talking. You're gonna... Can't even quote half of the words, probably. Why? Why do they do that? Because they're just so angry. They're still back in junior high. And what? No. They're baiting each other in. They're trying to get in under each other's skin to go off sides, to have a false start, to do whatever. It's like trash talking in, in, in college, or not college, but in pros. I mean, I could tell you how they do it in hockey, right? They get in each other's face and do all that kind of stuff, you know. These guys know exactly what they're doing. They're professional athletes. They're multimillionaires. It's way beyond that. And I'm telling you today, the enemy is trying to bait the church in to these debates, trying to bait Christians in to going off sides, to having false starts, rather than just relying on the play. Just do the play. Again, I'm gonna say this disclaimer one more time. This is not political, this is biblical. This is not a political statement. This is not one party versus another party. This is God's party. The last I checked, God's not Republican, he's not Democrat, and he's not even an American. Can you believe that? <laughs> so Lord, as we uh, just enter into our culture when we walk out the door, in some way we've got a little holy huddle going on here. We've got a, a bubble that we can feel protected in, your church, which you've provided for us, and we can sit with like-minded people and nod our heads, but when we walk out the door and there's opposition, there's redefining, there's pushback, Lord, help us to be your message, messenger. You have the message, we're just the messenger. And help us to help the world, Lord. I know some of us this morning, it's been a long time, years, since we've woke up without the hope of Christ, and yet people are doing it every day. So give us compassion, give us patience, give us love. Lord, when we read 1 Corinthians, love is patient, love is kind. It's not self-seeking, it's not, it keeps no record of wrongs, it doesn't engage and battle and argue and fight. And Lord, we thank you that we have the truth of God's word to rely on, that it's not left to us to be the commentary. It's not left to us to be the ultimate interpreter. It's living and active. And so help us to hold your word with deference, quote your word with the authority that it has, and let it do its work in the hearts and lives of people by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you guys. Have a great Sunday. See you next week.